Happy Easter, and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. On this special Sunday, we remember and celebrate Jesus' victory over sin and the grave. As we turn our attention to the resurrection, we continue our study through Ephesians to unpack Paul's prayer for the church, that they might enlist this resurrection power through the indwelling of the Spirit, to experience unity as their hearts are rooted and established in the love of Christ. Thanks for listening. I found this new show on uh, A&E called Live PD. It's a uh, modern version of that show from the 90s called Cops. You guys remember that? Bad boys, bad boys. You know the, you know the one, right? Um, well, as you're watching uh, this show, they, they're showing these live camera feeds of police officers uh, busting these guys. Um, marijuana use tends to be a big one, but you wouldn't believe the amount of um, abuse of the law that there is throughout the country. There's something that happens every time, though, with the police when they get the guy, is they pull out a pair of these. Who, who knows what these are? Ho- hopefully nobody here knows all too well what these are. Uh, but yeah, ha- uh, handcuffs. Uh, they, they'll say something. They'll say, you're not being arrested. You're just being detained, they'll say. And they'll click, they'll click these on. And you've got to see every time. One reason I like watching this is the look on these guys' faces every time. It's like, oh. Right? Because if you, if you want a chance of getting away, don't get these on. Right? If you, if you want a chance of, of doing what you want to do, don't get these on. But once these are on, can't get out. You're restricted. You're, you're, you're constrained. You're, you're enslaved in a sense because now you're controlled by these. You can't get out of them. The world that we live in offers every one of us a pair of these that we gladly put on because we have all broken a law. It might not be state of Michigan law, but it is whose law? We've broken God's law. That's called sin is what that's called. And you know what sin does? Sin acts like a pair of handcuffs. It it, it holds you captive. Uh, Sin makes you a slave. And you know what it does? It, It wants to even try to divide people. Has anyone ever seen the effects of sin in your life? Um, Turn people against one another? Not only is it indwelling sin, but uh, we we find a constraint that simply comes from the world that we live in. Uh, Again, trying to push people apart from one another. Divide them off of our differences. And we become constrained by our differences. Not only is it the world, not only is it sin, but church, you have an adversary. There is an evil one who wants to put you in handcuffs. That you would not be able to serve the living God. He wants to instruct, wants to enslave. Sin wants to control. Sin wants to oppress. Now, that'd be a sad message if that's where I stopped this morning, right? But guess what, folks? It's Easter. It's Easter. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm calling this message the power of grace. And as we have been together on a, a journey looking through what it looks like to explore and experience grace together as a family, I'd like us to look back into the book of Ephesians as we've been walking through chapter 2 and moving our way into chapter 3. We are now going to finish chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. We're just going to do a little Bible study this morning. Is that cool? Just a little Bible study together. I'm going to point out a few things in this text. So if you have your Bible open, it'll help you as we go through it. And then just a couple of concluding points as we kind of wind things up here this Easter morning. 
Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has just recounted uh, to the church uh, this great mystery of two people becoming one. That was in chapter 2. And then he extends to the church this administration. You might recall that from last week. That it was Paul's task to make sure that this grace was shared to all, both Jews and Gentiles. And here's where we pick up the story in chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not to him who is able, to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You, could you tell Paul was getting going? He was getting going. Uh, he, he is so overcome with this concept that the church embraces grace, not individually, but together to form a new creature. This thing that's never existed on the, on the face of the earth called God's family. Those who've been called out of the world. We are his church and we glorify God as his church. This really gets Paul's engine going. That he concludes with this beautiful doxological phrase. Him who is able to do immeasurably more. Is that your God this morning? Can your God do immeasurably more than you can ask or even imagine? As we pursue our way down through this passage, I want to bring out a couple of things. Um, First thing I want you to recognize is uh, something that we skipped over as as we started in the book of Ephesians. that comes from chapter 1. Look with me, uh, uh, just in chapter 3, look at verse 16, right where we were. Because there's a few things that are repeated here. Uh, His strength is mentioned here. His power is mentioned here. His glorious riches are mentioned here. There's another place where Paul mentions all these things. I want you to just turn back a page in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see as he starts his letter, this is on his mind. This idea of God's empowering of you. Can you say that word power? Say it. Power. God is going to empower you by his spirit to do something that you and I cannot do on our own. And it has to do with the unity of the church. Ephesians, look at me, chapter 1, start in verse 18, and you'll see the same, uh, the same message coming across here. Again, he's praying for the church. Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you see it's the same message? The riches, they show up in chapter 1 and they show up in chapter 3. That you would know Christ shows up in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. That that's extended to all of God's people. 
in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. But there's something really cool in chapter 1 that he doesn't include in chapter 3, which is why I brought you here this morning. Look at verse uh, 19. Let's just pick it up there again. And his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. If you want to know the power of God, you look to Easter morning. That's the power of God. Sin is a real, it's a reality, right? Sin is real, amen? It's real. It does this. It locks us up, right? There is another set of handcuffs that goes on. And it happens when each of us dies. Because nobody comes back out of the ground. No, nobody's getting up out of the casket. Nobody's showing up at their own funeral. They are, they're locked. They're constrained. They're enslaved. For the wages of sin, it's death. It's these handcuffs. But there's power in the name of Jesus Christ, church. There is power in our God. That power is shown and it's evidenced right here in verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. He exerted it in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. That's the power of grace. Turn back with me to chapter 3. I want you to see as Paul goes through this a bit of structure. The first thing I want you to notice is in verse 16. He gives a request. What's his request? I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may, what's your Bible say? Strengthen you. That's it. That's what needs to happen. All right. So when Paul wants to pray for the church, he wants to pray that you will have strength that comes through the grace of God. And we need strength. (laughs) Every single one of those guys on live PD, man, their strength is taken away. It's taken away. They don't have it anymore because they're in cuffs. God prays that you will have strength. So that's the request. Uh, Next thing I want you to see, Paul writes, is the result of that. What's the result of having this strength? uh, Strength with power in our inner being. Here it is in verse 17. Does your Bible say, so that? Right? So here it is. is. Here's the result of that. The reason why he wants you to have strength is so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. Does Christ dwell in your hearts, church? Say amen. amen. He does. Our problem is, are we following him as he dwells in us? If you feel far from God, it's not because he went anywhere. He's he's taken up residence in your hearts. But sometimes we make that dwelling a little difficult. Paul prays that you will have power by the Holy Spirit in your inner being to allow him to dwell. That means take over residence. He's the one that tells when the lights go on and off in the heart of your house. He's the one that redecorates the furniture. He's the one that makes sure that it's swept clean. He's dwelling there. And do you know what the evidence of the dwelling of Jesus Christ looks like? He says it here in verse 17. He finishes it with this. I pray that you being rooted and established. Those are cool words, aren't they? Rooted and established in love. Rooted and established in love. What Paul is doing here in verse 17 is he's echoing back what he said in chapter 2 and earlier in chapter 3 which is basically this and one word and I want you to catch this if you write in your Bibles write this word in there what does it mean to be rooted and established in love it means unity that's what it means it means unity what, what, what does the, the old song say 
And they'll know we are Christians by our, by our love. Jesus says this to his disciples. That the whole world will be able to identify you as my followers because you love one another. Not a love that separates one another. Not a love that divides, but a love that brings us together. That's what it means to be rooted and established in love. It means that we are unified. This is the whole message from chapter 2 into chapter 3. That's what he means here in verse 17. That's what it means to have Christ dwell in your hearts. You can hear Jesus' words throughout the Gospels too. Why are you pointing out the speck in your brother's eye when you got a log in? Why do you work to divide? That's not how his children live. We even prayed it this morning, right? Lord, forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This concept of unity is woven through the DNA of what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to have Christ dwell in your hearts. This is what it means to be rooted and established in love. So that's the result, but there's a purpose behind it. So request, result, purpose. Do you like my Easter colors up here? I did that on purpose. Verse 18, here's the reason why. Establish in love that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. When you see God's church unified, you recognize how very vast his love is. Who's the worst here this morning? Who's the worst sinner here this morning? Be honest, who's the worst sinner? Who's the worst sinner here this morning? Yeah. And God loves you. And God freed you. And God saves you. Because that's the full extent of his love. And if he can do it for you, guess what? He can do it for everybody else. He can do it. If you are rooted in love, meaning rooted in unity together, you will begin to see the three dimensional vast expanse of God's love for his people and his creation. He continues though. There's another result of this in verse 19 at the very beginning, because this is really cool now. Everybody with me? Verse 19, he says that you will know this love that surpasses knowledge. You figure that one out because I, I don't know. That you'll know something that you can't know? That you'll experience, that you'll see, that you'll visibly understand in your life, together, in relationship? A kind of love that's so grand that it can't be comprehended. It's like one of those big trees. When you were a kid, did you ever try to put your arms around a big tree? Like, I just can't. Ah, you can't reach. That's God's love. You'll never get it all. It's unknowable. It's unfathomable. It's vast. But you will know it experientially. You will know it. Because you've seen his love manifest in the church as we love one another. One last part to this. We've seen the request, the result, the purpose. Second result and now a second purpose. It's the end of verse 19. That you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, that's just a little hard to understand. For, for years, I kind of just felt like this kind of Bible talk. Filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Whew. Okay, what's that mean? I'll tell you what that means. It means that God wants to represent himself through you. That's what it means. God is using you to show the world what he looks like. Now, what if you only have half of him? Because you really only love half of the people. You only really love those who are easy to love. Those those people who are hard to love, be honest. 
You, you know who I'm talking about, right? Those people who are hard to love. Yeah. That's not the fullness of God, church. That's not the fullness of God. He has chosen us to make manifest the visible representation of God on earth as His what? Hands and? As His hands and feet here on earth. That when people look at us, they see what God looks like. You know what we need for that? We need the fullness of the measure of God. That we would be filled up. And how do you do that? You do that by knowing uh, surpassing love, unknowable love. How do you do that? Well, you do that by understanding the three-dimensional nature of God's love. How vast is? How do you do that? You do that by being rooted and established in love. And that's what God prays for us. That's what Paul prays for us. He does so by saying that he wants us to be strengthened with power. Strengthened with power. I wanted to put this in a summary form. Uh, you have in your sermon handout a few blanks for this. Uh, you'll hear this echoed as what we've already discussed, but this is what this verse means. This is what this passage means. It means we need God's power for unity. Anybody here need that? Anybody here know that I am weak in myself and I got people that I know I should love that I really don't love? People that I should forgive that are just, just the worst, hardest people to forgive and I just... I know I shouldn't talk about them behind their back. I know when that's coming to me, I should put that aside. And I need what? I need power. Say power. power. I need power. I need God's power. I need to be strengthened by God's power for the purpose of unity. And if I do, and if I'm given that, then I'll be able to grasp Christ's loves for us. And therefore know Christ's surpassing love for the purpose of our revealing God completely and fully. I didn't get into verse 20, uh, but I'd like to. Verse 20 now looks as Paul understands that what's impossible for man isn't impossible for God. He is able. Say he's able. Church, he is able. God is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. You got someone that's hard to forgive? God will get you there. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, for you, it's impossible, but it's not with God. He can do more. He can do more, church. And when he does this in our lives, when he unites us together, look at 21, because this is the coolest part of all. To him be glory in the, what's the Bible say? In the church. I don't know if you realize how cool that is. That's not just Christian talk. That's just not black and white in the Bible. You know what that is? That's God being glorified through sinners like us. Sinners who come under the washing, atoning blood of Jesus Christ that is given to you without work or merit, that is given to you freely by His love, by the word called grace. That's where the power comes from. And that's how we give glory to God. I'm, I'm blown away by this. I can imagine Paul writing that glory will be given to God by the, uh, the heavens. Yeah? The heavens declare the glory of God. Of course they do, right? Or the angels. Holy, holy, holy. We see pictures in the Bible. The Bible says right here that glory is given to God through you, through the church. And if I might just call your attention back to verse 15. From whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Notice it does not say names. How many churches are there 
in North Dickinson? This is a trick question. How many churches are there in Michigan? How many churches are there on earth? There's one. We say this when we recite that creed of old from the apostles. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the holy universal church, Catholic church. It extends geographically beyond our borders, beyond my comfort zone, which that's hard for me to admit. How about you? Is it beyond your comfort zone sometimes? Yeah, it is. And it's beyond space and time that extends into the past and extends to those who have yet to believe into the future. That's the vastness of God's love. All right, a few conclusions I want you to see. The power of God's grace means this. Number one, God's power is evidenced in his love. God's power is evidenced in his love. Verses 18 and 19. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. If you want to know power, it's love. Remember that song by Huey Lewis in the news? That's the power of love. Anybody? Remember that? Yeah. I don't know if I should quote that in church now that I'm thinking of it, but that's the idea. The power of God is seen in love. Sometimes we think justice. Let me point out. Let me, I'm going to get this is what you're doing. That's not God's power. It's God's love that is evidencing his power. Grace of God. And the power of the grace of God, it's seen when we love one another. Secondly is this. God's power in his love is beyond measurement. It's beyond knowledge. Again in verse 18, to have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep. You know what Paul's doing here? What do you do? Where are the grandmas? Who's a grandma? All right, there you are. Uh, what do you do when you want to tell your little uh, granddaughter, grandson, how much you love them? Grandma loves you. Right? right? Am I right? Like, I love you this much. That's what this is. That's what verse 18 is. Verse 18 is God trying to show you like a loving grandma or grandpa. I love you this much. How wide? I can't even extend it. How high? This way. How deep this way is the love of God. You just want to give God a big bear hug, don't you? It does not feel like that. That's exactly what this is. In the same way that you want to extend and communicate that kind of love to your grandchildren, that's what God is doing to you here. He is showing you that my love is so vast. It's beyond what you understand. It's beyond knowledge. It's beyond measurement. Can't even I love you this much. And hopefully, as you see me extend my arms, it's not too hard to really see the true visible representation of what that love looks like. As Jesus Christ extended his arms on the cross for you. It's beyond measurement. It's beyond knowledge. All right, next is this. Oh, I I pulled this in Romans 8. Because this is really fantastic. Listen to what Paul says here. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you add anything to that? Paul covered it, right? Say he covered it. Paul covered it. 
God's love is beyond measurement. It's beyond limitation. And next, God's power in His grace will take us beyond our limitations. This was verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more. That's a cool word, right? He can do more than we can ever, check it out, ask or imagine. I don't know if we get this. I don't even get this sometimes. But you know what I think the Apostle Paul did? I think he got it. I think that Paul would go to God and would say, All right, God, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to take the gospel uh, to Macedonia. God says, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to do more than you asked for. All right, I want to take it. And he goes back. Paul gets down again and he asks God again. All right, I want to take it to Spain. I can do more than that. Take it to Rome. I can do more than that. What are you asking God for? What is it in your life that you are asking God for? Because he can do more than that. You know what else he can do more than you ask? More than you can even imagine. And maybe here this morning you hear me say this and you say, Well, Pastor, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my life looks like. Guess what? God can do more. He can do more than you would ask him for. And he can do things that you haven't even thought to ask him for yet. How amazing is that? Why are we not then going before God and saying, Hey, let's, you got some ideas? What, what should we do as a church? Do, how is God speaking to you? Because he can do more than you would ask him for. And he can do more than we can all imagine. Why don't we start trying stuff? Look at the result from verse 21. Because when we do that, there is glory shown to him where? In the church from us sinners who are asking God. It's amazing. It's fantastic. I want you to see two more, uh, just a couple more things. Uh, the next is just the consequence of God's power is glory to God as we just looked at. Verse 21. That's the consequence of God's power. Not your power. Alright? Not what you do. Well, that was my idea. Uh-uh. That was my ministry. Uh-uh. That's God's work. Okay? You know what God will do? He will humble you. You don't want that. <laughs> Alright? If you're proud thinking that what you're doing for God is what you're doing, you be careful with that because He will humble you to make sure that the glory belongs to Him. For He does not share His glory with another. We glorify Him. When he answers us in ways that we can't even ask or imagine for. That's the consequence of the power of God's grace. I do want to get into some other things here that are a little bit more difficult. Verse 16 does tell us that this power comes through his spirit. Do you notice that? Do you see that in verse 16? It comes through his spirit. It doesn't come through a seminar. Well, I went to, I went to a conference to learn how to... Mm -mm. I, I went to Bible college. I went to cemetery. Seminary. Same thing. Same thing. That's not where it comes from. It comes from His abiding Holy Spirit. So, what that means is if you don't have His Spirit, you do not have power. What are you? You're still enslaved. You're still a slave without His Spirit. Um, from... Back in uh, chapter 1, flip back to the verse that we read there in verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19. And his incomparably great power, for who? What's it say? For those who believe. Well, pastor, I believe in God. I believe in God my whole life. There's a difference between believing God and putting your faith in God. I'll say that again. There's a difference between believing in God... And transferring your hope and your faith 
in God. Do you know the demons believe? Demons do. They're not going to heaven. To believe in God truly in a salvific sense means that I transfer anything in my life that I used to claim ownership for, even my very life, and I hand it over to him. That's called faith. And this power, it's only available through, it's only active through the Holy Spirit, and it's only available for those who believe. But here's the greatest news of all. God's power is resurrection power to break the power of sin and death. God's power is resurrection power. Break the power of sin and death. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you are. This, this might be where you are today. The key's in my pocket. Call me. <laughs> If I try, I'm still locked up. I might think it's my strength. Your strength won't get it done. You'll still stay locked up. Well, maybe if I, maybe I just think hard enough about it, no change. You'll still be locked up. In fact, you're restricted to do good things to get out of this. I, I don't even know if I can get this key out of my pocket. Right? You're locked up. I'm not sure where you are today, but Paul has good news for you. He has good news. Because we are his representatives. God's choosing to make his will known on earth through you and through me. Today's a good day, church. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you pray with me?